Welcome to episode 45 of season 2 of the Search with Canada podcast. I am your host, Jack Chambers-Ward, and this week I am joined by Jeff Grill. Jeff is the founder and partner over at Brainchild, and Jeff is going to be joining me this week to discuss how to create scalable content solutions for some of the world's biggest brands and essentially turn those large companies into digital publishers. So we're going to get into a lot of content strategy discussion, a lot of content at scale discussion which i think is something that a lot of people maybe don't have that much experience with a big discussion about turning those large companies into digital publishers and how we can plan and schedule and essentially build that strategy for a big big company and help them achieve their goals from a content marketing and seo perspective Of course, before I get on to my conversation with Jeff Grill this week, Search with Canada is supported by Systrix, the SEO's toolbox. You can go to systrix.com SWC if you want to check out some of their fantastic free tools, such as their SERP snippet generator, hreflang validator, the Google update radar, or of course, checking your site's visibility index. And huge credit to Systrix recently, there is an article on their blog discussing uh, a recent study, actually, done by Giacomo Zaccini over at Merge, and Systrix actually passed all of the tests. And Merge actually checked 15 different web crawlers, everything from, I'm sure, plenty of you've heard before and you've heard us mention on the podcast before, such as Hrefs and Content King and uh, Lumar, who used to be called Deepcrawl, Sightbulb, Screaming Frog, Oncrawl, all this stuff, like all the big names, essentially, in SEO. And Systrix, along with Oncrawl and Luma and Botify, were actually the only ones to pass all tests in this study by Merge with flying colors. This is basically getting an understanding of how web crawling tools aim to replicate, you know, search engine crawling. And there is essentially no defined standard for automated rendering processes. They went through and tested, like I said, 14 web crawling tools understanding their session isolation capabilities across six different tests and our pals over at Systrix were one of only four other crawlers actually passing every single test all the way from cookie to index database to local storage and session storage broadcast channels and shared worker as well so all six tests passed with flying colors by Systrix and if that's not enough of incentive to go and check out Systrix yourself I highly recommend, like I said, go to systrix.com slash SWC. You can check out some of their fantastic little free tools that are going on there, as I always say at the start of each episode. And you can sign up for the toolbox itself, which has some fantastic features, including the Systrix on-page crawler that we're talking about here. It is one of my favorite on-page crawler tools, and I promise I'm not just saying that because they're sponsoring the podcast. Systrix is becoming more and more my go-to tool as I learn more about it and I get more familiar with its features. It has become a key part of my day-to-day SEO work when it comes to our clients here at Canda. So I highly, highly recommend you go and check out Systrix if you haven't already. And of course, we will have later on in the month the Trend Watch newsletter, Index Watch and Sector Watch all coming up soon. 
And you can subscribe to those newsletters by going to systrix.com slash trends. Systrix.com slash blog if you want to go and read, like I said, about how the on-page crawler isolates rendering sessions perfectly and how it passed the tests. And I will put a link for that blog as well as the full study by Giacomo over at Merge in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk. Welcome to the show, Jeff Grill. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a, uh, you know, this this is the the one show I go to every uh, Monday morning here in New York when I wake up. So uh, starts my week. So I'm incredibly excited to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I know it is very early for you. Not on a Monday morning, not quite, but it's still very early in the morning for you. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your morning. You've got your coffee, oh, you've got your morning voice ready to go. So um, I'll go. It's deep in residence. So uh, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so for the listeners out there in SEO and PPC who might not know who you are, Jeff, why don't you give us a quick little intro about what you do and what Brainchild does as well? Oh, sure. So um, just a kind of a quick background. I actually started, I mean, my career being a little older, little, little older than you. Uh, spans kind of like that pre-internet period. I was working in a uh, traditional advertising agency, uh, starting actually in the, not to fully date myself, in the late 80s, worked in advertising, worked my way up in the 90s. And then this thing called the internet came around. And of course, those of us that were in more traditional, particularly TV-based media, um, really didn't have an idea of, of what this was all about and, and, and how you needed to use it in marketing. I mean, you did know even then as a marketer, you always kind of had to reinvent yourself mm. and understand how technology was evolving. Um, and I used to commute into New York City from Long Island about an hour each way. And it was the only time I had because for anyone that's worked in advertising, you, you know, you're kind of working around the clock. Um, and you have a family and you don't know when you're gonna squeeze this internet thing in. So I decided, <laughs> that I'm going to use this really poor internet connection. I was able to cobble together on the railroad using my, I think, flip phone at the time. <laughs> and this new thing called the laptop and really understand uh, starting in the early 2000s what the internet was all about. And I figured the only way to actually do it was to actually start building websites myself. So basically taught myself how to code, taught myself how to develop sites. And then all of a sudden, this odd thing happened. You started to get traffic which was like remarkable to me. I was like, wow, I could do this thing on the train and it gets traffic. And then not only that, I discovered this other thing called the affiliate program. Ah. I'm like, wait. And then I discovered that you could hire writers to do anything for you, which was <laughs> at the time, this alien topic, right? So I'm like, wait a second, I could come up with an idea. I could hire writers online. I could cobble this thing together into a website. I could add affiliate links to it and then you can actually make money doing it. <laughs> and it was just, you know, and I, I was hooked. Um, and then what happened is I started to publish more and more and, and larger sites. And then it came, it, it actually came to the point where people would come to me and say, oh, Jeff is doing this web thing. And, you know, word spread kind of among friends. Do you become the web um, guy, basically? <laughs> I became the web guy and I became the guy that understood search better than anyone else. And I had the benefit of actually being able to grow up basically in the search community as the technology and Google and the way people search and from desktop to that mobile, that pesky mobile transition um, evolved. Um, and it gives me kind of an interesting perspective into the industry because from a 
background standpoint, here I was managing, you know, fairly large Madison Avenue clients that were very brand centric, very consumer research centric type exercises. Because at the time, the person that actually managed the advertising account, like for example, I worked on uh, AT&T, uh, you actually did a lot, conducted or directed a lot of the brand research. So you really understand what made a brand come together mm. and then combining that with kind of the SEO knowledge to understand, okay, how do you make content work in an online setting that's brand centric and that's friendly to kind of these larger clients to make it work for them um, is kind of how it all came together. And that kind of was the genesis for Brainchild, which is then how do you, so about 10 years ago with a partner, we said, okay, how do we actually do that at scale? Mm. And then about 10 years ago, since there's so many firms, how do we actually do that for the kind of client that we tend to work with, which tend to be either larger clients or clients in highly regulated industries. Right. Um, right. Or clients with many, many people kind of having a point of view within the client <laughs> organization as to what that content should be, should be. Right. So if you think about that, it's not just like, right, you know, when I was doing it for myself on the train, it was simply, okay, what will satisfy the needs hopefully of the reader and google i'll get that up i can handle basically any topic i put it up i try it it works it doesn't work and you move on it's a much different situation when you're working with a corporate client yeah and that's definitely. why we started brainchild to figure out kind of how to do that but do it at scale and do what possibly clients pop don't do particularly well it's interesting because enterprise seo and huge large scale stuff is not something i have very much experience with myself and i tend to work with a lot of sort of uh, my, my background working with a lot of local clients in my previous agency right. and then kind of coming in more national and more international stuff here at Canada, but I've never kind of done that really huge, large scale stuff. So I think I'm just going to spend the next sort of 40 minutes or so just coming up with questions and <laughs> and picking your brain <laughs> for all this big scale content ideas and strategy and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's oh, been a, a really interesting episode. So if you are out there, listeners, you are looking to do uh, content creation at scale, We've got the right person for the job. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's really a strategic imperative for companies. What kind of was the aha moment, or one of the many aha moments, and also for clients is, if you think about the, the way the internet evolved, what happened was the digital publishers um, organized very quickly, like the nerd wallets of the world, which mm. I assume you have uh, in the UK as well. Yeah. And they really figured out um, a business model where they could develop con content and dominate specific niches. Like in the case of NerdWallet, it would be, let's say they start, I, they probably started with like the credit card industry. So if you are a credit card issuer, right? Or if you are a um, bank, banking institution, and you're issuing credit cards, all of a sudden, all those leads that would naturally come to you via internet searches, all of a sudden you have this entity disaggregating that search funnel. All of a sudden they're saying, no, come to NerdWallet first because they are much better at publishing content. They're better at publishing content at scale and they're probably better at publishing content with great frequency and they're better at understanding how that content is performing. And all of a sudden you have the NerdWallet and other companies, digital publish like them. All of a sudden, all those leads that were coming to you at a very reasonable cost because they're coming from organic search all of a sudden disappear. Yeah. And then those digital publishers come along and they try to resell those leads to these companies. <laughs> so all of a sudden their costs go. So now their only choices are, do I buy the leads at a large cost from these aggregator 
and there's several large corporations that are aggregating those leads, right? Or do I actually, you know, do it, or do I buy, I try to get them myself. So I go into the paid media markets, but the problem is they go into the paid media markets and what do they encounter? <laughs> they encounter nerd wallet buying all of the media inventory, right? They encounter the digital publishers taking all of the organic traffic, right? And they encounter other companies like digitally native companies that are in the same business as them mm. or started up, you know, out of Silicon Alley or, or wherever, right? And they're also much more nimble at buying digital media and converting them into customers. And they do it extremely low cost. So they can't, so they can, you know, so all of a sudden they say, okay, wait, I can't compete there where the business is going, which is everyone going directly online. Right? I can't compete if I'm going to buy the leads because my infrastructure is too expensive, right? So what do I do? And that's when we step in and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to help transform the company and we're going to help you turn yourself into a, your marketing organization into a digital publisher. Right, right. And you have to do it because what happens is as a marketing organization and, these, and particularly in many of these large companies and particularly the ones that tend to be lead-based, right? is the marketing organization is sitting there generating leads that are too expensive for the company to convert at a reasonable cost. So then they go, okay, we don't want this marketing team. Let's get another marketing team in there. <laughs> and then they're faced with the same exact thing. However, if they're able to unlock what they naturally have, right? If you think about, I used, I once worked in online banking, right? Marketing. And we did a study that we said, um, what's, what's better? Um, do people, would they prefer to go into a brand, a banking branch or would they prefer to go online? And most people would actually, if you're call it under a certain age, right, <laughs> would prefer to go online. And the reason they would rather go online is because people believe that the entire expertise of the bank is more accessible to them online right? because yeah. they could search, they could find what they're looking for versus going into the branch, finding some random person. Right. Assuming that random person has all the knowledge of the bank stored <laughs> up in their mind. Right. They might just work for one department and not know how right. the rest of the industry works. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. So the company has all this knowledge that most of the clients that we work with are filled with subject matter experts. Right. It's not like we have to go looking for it mm. in the enterprise. The question is, how do you unlock all that expertise? And, you know, from where Google's algorithms going and, and, you know, EAT and, you know, where Google wants expertise, authority, and trust, which we hear over and over again, right? These companies are screaming that. <laughs> so the real question then becomes, how do we almost, how do we create a workflow that allows the company to, what we say, content at scale, produce that content at scale at a, at a pace that equals the digital publishers, but to take advantage of our competitive advantage, which is we don't, you know, these companies don't have a bunch of writers on staff. Like let's say a more native digital publisher, which is more of a you know journalism model with an affiliate overlay, you have a company that actually creates something. You know, they actually are the bank. They actually are the insurance company, right? They have the person that actually creates the insurance policy that people want to buy. They have all that knowledge that someone actually wants to know. And then the question is, how do you take all that and package it in a way so that you can actually perform well in search? And then absolutely amazing things happen because what happens is people start coming in via the organic search channel. Those people happen to be at the right, you know, you, you could actually, as you have talked about on the show, you could actually target the right part of the funnel, mm. right? Those leads, you know, if you look, look, they, it's not like organic media costs less, you know, it costs, it costs nothing, I should say, 
and paid media costs something. You know, I find usually in an enterprise, you'll find the organic search program probably costs about a fifth of what the paid media program does. And then what happens is the marketing teams can start looking at this as a portfolio. And they could say, okay, my average cost per lead into the company or my average cost of a visitor into our website who's doing an informational search is now significantly less because now I'm blending paid media and what that does particularly well, you know, in terms of targeting things, maybe mm -hmm. in the short term that organic search can't do. And all of a sudden you have a marketing program that's cooking with gas. And then what happens is, as you know, over time, you have this amazing waterfall effect, right? Which is that, you know, you brought in, you know, X number of people this year via organic search. Well, look at that. It actually doubled next year by doing the exact same level of expert, you know, <laughs> of that same level of, you know, of um, activity. Yeah. Right. Because you did, you know, X number of uh, articles this year. Let's say you're doing, you know, a reasonable pace. I would call one article a week, let's say, you know, four a month. Right. Which is actually um, one to two a month. One to two a week is actually a, uh, a pretty good pace for an enterprise. If you think about it, we'll talk about all the things that have to be done to get that article from conception <laughs> through the completion of the number of, you know, just imagine the number of lawyers that have to review. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And um, and, and it's just amazing, this effect. And it, and it, and even more amazing to many marketers, I don't know. Sorry, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of keep on talking here, but. Um, that was what I've got you here to do, man. That's keep absolutely. On, keep, keep on rolling. <laughs> <laughs> right, but um, yeah. It, the, the idea is that, um, yeah, just amazing things start to happen because you, the, the system keeps on running. You keep on optimizing this workflow. Um, you understand better and better the types of content you need to produce to actually generate the results uh, that you need. And then more and more people actually come into the company and uh, achieve your goal. Yeah, I think targeting different parts of the funnel is such an interesting way to look at it, right? Because like you said, there are so many different ways you can approach content creation and whether that's small scale or large scale, there are a lot of different ways you can go about it. And I know something we've touched on before and something Mark has spoken about, obviously our tool also asked helps with this as well is targeting that zero volume stuff and thinking about that kind of like that engaged user for want of a better phrase, that, that potential customer that is asking a very specific question about a very specific thing they want an answer and that is a totally different experience to somebody who is searching for a very general term that is very top funnel and just kind of starting to dip their toes into that topic right how much does that factor into kind of like large scale content stuff at what point do you kind of i guess, I guess should we start with where do you start with building that kind of strategy right where all the different moving pieces and as you said all the lawyers and senior executives and all that kind of stuff what is the kind of first stage of building a content plan to that scale. Yeah. So basically what, what happens with enterprise customers, um, even though my team has expertise, let's say in a particular area, we're never going to have the expertise and understanding that client experts have. I mean, when you're dealing on an enterprise level, you know, it's not like you're, th these are the experts. These are <laughs> the people that actually wrote the insurance policy or figure out how the bank works. So your expertise kind of pales in comparison to that, but what your job is to figure out how to extract that expertise in a way that kind of meets the needs of the consumer. I'm going to say meets the needs of Google's interpretation of what the consumer wants to see, <laughs> right? <laughs> we could debate what that means, but I'm going to give, 
I, you know, I, I always give Google the benefit of the doubt because if you do, you know, like when you Google something or you Google a particular term, you go, okay, this is what Google believes and probably what the consumer wants because they are measuring how they are doing action reaction type testing all the time, right? To see what is the consumer reading and clicking on, right? And then you also have to meet the needs of the organization in terms of the many lawyers, um, you know, there are brand people, there are all sorts of constituencies within a client organization that you also have to satisfy. But it all starts with understanding their business and how people are searching their particular topic. And then you also have to understand how that intent funnel, which you've spoken about on the show before works, meaning, okay, how are people researching the topic? How are they getting introduced to this product? What are those first searches that they're actually doing? What questions are they asking? Like that, you know, that you see in Mark's tool and the also ask tool, right? How is this industry structured? How do you even think about it thematically? For example, I don't know if you've used Sparktura. So if you're, if you're targeting small business, it's one of the few tools where you could actually say, okay, what is the small business conversation, for example, right? Which you can't really do if you go to a search engine, you go, okay, I want to learn about what's on the mind of small business people. You go, I don't know where to start. It's not like, you know, maybe you could eke it out of Google Trends, right? So what we do is we actually will go to an Ahrefs or any other keyword tool is fine. And we'll, we'll actually do is create a mind map. And the mind map is to, te to teach our team, okay, here's how that intent funnel, how people are using language to navigate that intent funnel and how keywords cluster together. And, how, and we use that as a visual tool. Um, and that has many practice, and we will use a, um, like, for example, we're on Mac, so we use MindMeister, which is a cloud-based tool that allows us to share kind of those maps across the organization. Um, and what we'll start to do is we'll cluster those keywords. So, for example, if you have a life insurance product, right, the first thing people say is, um, do I need this? <laughs> and what is it, right? Searches tend to, what you find in every category is they tend to pattern around a similar cadence. So in insurance, it's always, for example, do I need this? What is it? You know, um, next they'll say, okay, I think I kind of need it. Um, what are the types? Do they come in different flavors? What are the features? So they try to understand kind of the lay of the land. Once they understand the lay of the land, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to they're drill into a particular type. Like, let's say they want term life insurance. And then once they do that, they're going to say, okay, what are the features of a term life insurance policy that I should be thinking about? Right. Then they'll learn about, you know, different riders and, you know, then they'll go, okay, what is the best company? Actually think about it from what should I pay for? What does it cost? Right. How do I find an affordable policy? Right. And then once they kind of get down to that company research level, then they'll say, okay, um, which company should I buy it from? And then they're kind of all the way through the funnel. And what you want to do is map all that out and that has a practical purpose for you but also has a practical purpose for your client because all of a sudden you can go into the client and you can say okay here's the way the world is searching for your product here's how it kind of clusters and here's how we need to create content and why that is great is because what you find in an enterprise is an agency is not creating all of their content they're actually creating content there's many 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 people creating content and not all of it is search driven. Yeah. Right. Some of it is search driven, but some of it doesn't make sense to be search driven because people <laughs> aren't particularly looking for it. Right. But they may <laughs> want to use it to, you know, um, 
create interest in an email, for example, you know, yeah, 10 yeah. tips to do blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing is not necessarily a search driven piece of content, but there's many people within the enterprise creating that. But all of a sudden, if everybody has these line maps, they kind of understand what they're writing into. And if you put in, you layer in all of your like also asked questions where you understand what questions people are asking. I also layer in sometimes questions from Google question hub. Mm, because yeah. what you want to do is begin to introduce more uniqueness into your article. Like, how do you kind of evolve it and bring it to that next level? Um, and, you know, we'll also look at like the Spark Turo just to see, okay, thematically, how are people within like, let's say small business or the consumer looking for insurance? What's that conversation? And making sure that we reflect that as well. Once we have all that laid out, we, we develop our um, content plan. Because we'll also layer in into that mind map. We put right into the mind map, the average monthly search volume yep. for each of those themes. And that we understand that those call it, I know, keyword research is kind of out of fashion versus entities or whatever <laughs> you happen to be. But you kind of understand, we kind of make it clear that these are thematic. Yeah. Like when you're talking about the types of a particular product, right? There are probably another hundred keywords that ride along. You're not trying to map every single keyword. You're, what you're just trying to do is create an accurate representation of how the world and probably the more important pieces of the language are organized so that you could then understand, okay, here's based on the objectives of the company, here's what we want to do. And it's obviously going to work a little different for someone that wants to generate leads versus another company, which is saying, you know, I'm the thought leader in my particular industry. Mm. Like, for example, we work with a private equity fund that's the thought leader. And they once they say, how come every time it researches anything to do with what we want to be a thought leadership in, a leader in other companies are there (laughs) (laughs) and we're nowhere to be found, right? So that's equally common. You'll equally have kind of a mind map to understand their industry as well. And it's kind of the same thing. The next thing we do. So first you do the mind maps, you understand the language, you develop your content plan based on what you want to achieve. And the most important thing we do after that is we write a blueprint and that kind of come that comes out of my um, early agency background where for example if you're doing a cr- anything creative you tend to write a brief yeah just like if you're doing a website and you go through persona development and try to understand the user stories it's the same exact concept and the brief is critically important because when you're dealing with subject matter experts you could yeah you could go and write that article but it will be shredded <laughs> Because there's no way through your secondary research, you're going to match the expertise of the experts that live within the enterprise. So what we try to do is we create a brief, which kind of meets the needs of those three constituencies, meaning the consumer or the reader, you know, Google's interpretation of what the consumer wants. um, And then actually the needs of the organization, understanding kind of those legal requirements understanding that the subject matter expert needs to react to something. Because what we find is these experts aren't particularly good at writing the articles. Not that they can't (laughs) write the articles themselves, but are they really going to do it? If you think about people who live within an enterprise, their day is filled with like email inboxes that are full. Yeah. Right. They're in meetings all day. You know, you deal with clients. So they're, they're, they're doing what they need to do which is right, run the business, uh, run their business, yeah. basically. They don't have time to be writing articles every week. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's an imperative for the organization. 
And how do you actually, you know, so what you need, so what we do is we create a blueprint, which says, okay, here's exactly the way we're going to approach this. So what we'll do is we'll have a, and what's really important here, and I think more important than basically anything else is our strategists will go in and understand the competitive dynamics of the content marketplace for that particular topic. Right. So they'll not just look at, okay, here's the top 10, you know, the page one ranking competitors. They'll actually read what those competitors wrote, <laughs> right? And that gives you an understanding, hmm, oh, I see. Google likes to rank articles where there's a quote tool on the top of the page, right? They like it when there's a table of contents. They like that articles are actually articles versus, you know, if you're selling a product or service, sometimes what you'll see are just, you know, here are the features of the particular. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you get it, you get, you, you need that human sense versus if you just rely on a tool that just says, oh, here's the language people are using, you know, go and plug that into your article. There's that nuance to search intent, right? Where I think a lot of people kind of, we kind of get funneled into a couple of different buckets of like, oh, there's transactional, there's informational, there's navigational right. that kind of stuff. But actually, as you, you're totally right, actually going in and drilling down into well, what does that article actually say? What are the features of it? Are there any consistencies or inconsistencies there is such a key part of that research stage. I think that's a really interesting point to kind of highlight because I think so many people kind of focus on like, oh, well, we'll chuck it through a few tools. And we mentioned Ahrefs, also asked, Keyword Insights, all this right. kind of stuff we talk about in the show all the time. And just relying on that data is one thing, but something I touched on with uh, Olga Zazetchner a few weeks ago is that don't rely on just the tools too much. Actually going in and reading the articles, reading the content, understanding the page, you know, manually reviewing something can be such a key part of it. And that's where you are the expert, right? You come in as a professional digital marketer, you understand structures and you come in as a writer, you understand article structure and stuff. There's that combination Correct. of your expertise and understanding how these articles work and what's ranking, what's not ranking. I love the idea of like, oh, Eight of the top 10 articles all have, like you said, interactable contents, like anchor links basically on the page that allow you to jump around. Like, huh, interesting. <laughs> like, that's not directly a ranking factor. You would never get that from some tool. You would never say, you know, oh, these are informational, these are transactional intent. But actually drilling down into the on-page content itself is so, is, is such a key next step. I think you're totally right there. Yeah, absolutely. And that has to happen very early in the creative mm. process it's too late when something goes to the um writer yeah, yeah for example we we did this um we were working with a bank and you know they they loan they create you know auto loans and you think well auto loans kind of like a generic thing and then you look at like well there's flavors of auto loans and there's an auto loan that people go for that are like classic car collectors you know they want like a 40 year old chevrolet or whatever it happens right to be. yeah and then when you actually read the content you start to understand that the content that really works is the content that focuses on banks that actually has an expert in that type of automobile whereas we went into it thinking oh it's just another way to loan money to someone <laughs> it's just another loan and then when you understand no you really need to have people someone wants to borrow money from a bank that has an expert mm. that understands how to value collectible cars and understands how the buying pro how the car auction process works so that they can actually go into an auction before they even know what car they want in order to buy a very specific car you know that the bank hasn't seen right <laughs> that's a very different 
customer yeah. than perhaps someone that's just going in and buying a new car. Yeah, so when they're absolutely. buying a new car, they want to know what's the rate, right? Give me the rate and the term and, <laughs> you know, you know, will you actually loan me money, right? It's, it's you know, and is my credit good enough? It's a very different conversation and you wouldn't know that just by looking um, at a tool. So the things that we use, we'll use Ahrefs or Stat will understand that competitive set. You know, you could use any of the keyword tools. Well, we actually like Surfer SEO mm. um, as a tool because for, for two different things. One, I, it's, it gives you the NLP language because I think what the uh, natural language processing um, feedback that you get from that Google API does is it keeps your, you focused. We're, we're, we're not as concerned per se with, let's say, keyword density or the density of any language. It's helpful for at least your writers to understand, okay, here's the way that the language that is being used in the conversation. Yeah. So it's more of a reminder to kind of use these types of phrases or, you know, they're like language cues to us. And what we also like is since we have many writers that we now need to take this brief that's. So we developed this brief. This brief has now been reviewed by all the subject matter experts. We ask the subject matter experts, and this is really important in the brief, to add their point of view, their organization's unique point of view to the brief. Because what happens is if you, I think you guys have talked about this on the show before, everything's been written <laughs> at this point. Right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There are trillions of articles. So how do you add some, you know, as Google says, and I think they're absolutely correct. What what value are you bringing to the conversation? Yeah, value and is why such a key we... word there, right? No, no pun intended on keyword, but it's a, right. it's a key actually, word. <laughs> it's a key word, right? And I also take it very seriously. I know we we joke about you know Google's helpfulness, you know algorithm update, but as I thought about it, um, it actually is is really interesting um, because if you think about okay, how am I going to write something that's going to be very helpful to the consumer? I actually think is a kind of a noble cause. Mm, yeah. um, and, and then it's really about, okay, how do I drive helpfulness, right? What, what tools can I put on the page? Can I put more calculators on the page? Can I make the page easier to read? Yeah. Can I, re or, can I restructure the conversation in a way that's more helpful than the way everyone else structured their conversation, right? And then when you start doing that, you could actually say, hmm, those, you know, Sites put out by, uh, you know, those articles put out by universities or those government pages aren't so insurmountable because those <laughs> tend to be a little more dense, yeah, right? Yeah. They tend to require multiple clicks to get to the con the ultimate answers to the questions that people want. Um, and we figure all of this out in that kind of briefing stage. So the, and the brief also does other things. It has all your metadata. Um, it has your internal linking strategy. I know it. When Olga, when you were talking about technical audits, you were talking about anchor text yep. strategies. All of that is put into the brief and and rides along with the article. So we so when our writers get it, they know okay, this is exactly how I need to write in order to satisfy the needs of the brand voice. Here's how I need to write in order to satisfy the needs of all those subject matter experts with the company. Um, this is what I need to think about from a language standpoint because we set up within Surfer we use content editors. So they can actually write the article directly into the editor and they can see how they're using language um, in real time. Mm. Um, um, and we also put in all the Google question hubs. We put in the also asked. We put in the people also ask. You know, everything they need to know and they understand the strategy 
And we'll often pick out of the top of the page one, let's say Google result. Here are the what, where we think the weaker articles are. And here's where we think the competition is doing a great job. So we'll actually say, okay, look at the feature, the way the product features are, are represented among competitor two and result, you know, in result three, right? Mm. You know, so we'll, we'll kind of be very specific with the writers so they don't have to go poking around and searching. We'll actually lead them right to water. And then they'll do what they do really well, which is structure the conversation in a way which is compelling. So what you're seeing, even by my explanation, it takes a, a tremendous amount of work. <laughs> that, you know, this isn't, you know, this is, a, this is a tough sport, right? When, you, when, you're, when you're writing and you're in highly competitive industries. Yeah, definitely. And you're fighting for leads or you're fighting for attention, mm. um, you know, among other thought leadership. And, and you're fighting among, and you're competing with some of the, you know, largest companies in the world. You know, these are Fortune 200, 300 companies often. Right. So you have to fix, so you really do have to put in the time and quite honestly, the quality standards of these companies are so high that you have to do it anyway. So if you weren't writing for search, they still have to be amazing article. And then you have to do that at scale. So in order to do that at scale, you really need this repeatable process where you have to say, okay, what is the content? Because often when, when you're dealing with enterprise content plans are written a year in advance. Yeah, absolutely. And. You know, and then what you're doing is you're saying, okay, we're going to write these 100 articles for the year. Then you'll calendarize that 100. And then what you're doing is your strat, and you can only do so much research when you write that content plan, right? It's it's imperfect. Yeah. And things change, right? By the time, often by the time we get to mid-year, many of the terms that we're ranking for or topics, all of a sudden we're ranking if things start to work. Because what happens is you're building this foundation early on. Right, you're starting to signal to Google, wow, we're really good at insurance, right? And these guys are publishing about insurance all the time. So now, you know, I have clients where we go from, um, you know, Google's not even um, crawling their websites that often, <laughs> right? You know, we, we actually just had a client where we published and, you know, they never published and all of a sudden mm. they're putting up thought leadership. And then, you know, they go, okay, how are we doing? And we go back to the, to the uh, you know, to look and we go, oh, you're not even indexed yet. And they were like, okay, is it in your site map? It is. I know right? that feeling <laughs> on some right. of my clients. And then you go, wow, we really have, we have to ping Google with the site map. Yeah. We have to let them know. We've woken up. You know, we, we now um, are actually publishing. And then when that ball starts rolling, they know to come to your site more often. They start to recognize your expertise. Um, your people start to link to your content because once you start, your subject matter experts start featuring your article. So what we'll actually do is every time we write an article, we'll write the accompanying um, social posts, which has a practical, which, which one you should do anyway. Right. Yeah, but yeah. two, it also has a practical effect because everything has to go through extent in highly regulated industries. Everything has to go through legal review, which is actually great. Right. <laughs> I know it used to be, it's interesting in the old world, it used to be a negative in the new world. It's actually a positive because what you could actually do is say in your article, this article has gone through extensive review. Ah, yeah. Look at all the people that have reviewed it. Here's the bios of those people. Here are the links to those bios, right? So to the reader, it's actually a great thing. Yeah, that's perfect EAT stuff, right? 
I know we, we've t we've touched on Healthline that do that so much. They have the exactly. reviewed right. by medical doctor on 16th of October, blah, 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 blah. And then re-reviewed and peer-reviewed by another medical doctor on the 18th of October. And it goes through and has this whole full, like almost change log of, of data. So yeah, having that right. there, like you said, getting more people involved can actually be beneficial, especially like you said, if they are the subject experts, you have the people coming in that really know what they're talking about that are reviewing it and peer reviewing it. That's, that's an advantage. It sounds right. like it shouldn't be, but it can be, you can work it to well, an advantage. It's funny. And I used to see it as a disadvantage. I'm like, boy, we, Oh no, now another, we have to go through another legal review to jump for another. Hoop, word. Like... Yeah. Right. Exactly. And now I'm just like, wow, please, you know, do you have a, a more experienced lawyer to review this? You know, it's, I mean, EAT has been, is great for enterprise, SEO. Mm. Um, authorship is great for enterprise SEO. Um, the challenge is more, how do you, you know, so often companies don't want to reveal their experts, you know, because you all of a sudden you're creating, you know, your, um, people leave companies, right? Yeah. So what you're, you're painting you're... a target for headhunting and stuff, I guess, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> there are many reasons why they might not want to reveal their leaders, but the reality is in today's world, People want to know the experts. Now, the expert doesn't have to be a person. It could be a committee, mm. right? So there, there are ways around that, which actually sound, which is actually even better. You know, we have a committee of five people that are the world-renowned people in this particular space, <laughs> and they reviewed this article. Not only that, they did it last week, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. is is kind of the uh, sweet spot for that. Yeah. So it's actually been, um, I think EAT is great um, for what we do, and we've seen, um, you know, our content perform better and better over time um, because of that. Yeah, I think that's something that I always kind of fall into. Again, a lot of the smaller sites I've worked on throughout the years, you get a client coming to you and saying, oh, how is this article performing? How many leads do we get from this specific article? I can only imagine how that works at scale. I guess you must be looking at it as a much bigger picture, right? And then driving like, this month's worth of articles or this quarter's worth of articles what's the kind of approach there for kind of reporting to the the executives and the the marketing managers or whoever you're reporting to as the client what's the plan there for kind of demonstrating the value of those pages over time we tend to i mean <laughs> while the temptation is to look at a specific article <laughs> uh, when 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 you're producing at scale most most of the time it really isn't necessary mm. You know, it's get it's it's way too in the weeds. Yeah, it's what kind of the the digital publishing team is doing, because we constantly want to understand what's working and not working, what's producing. But when we're reporting to management or an executive committee, which which you need to constantly do, and even those subject matter experts, because you have to constantly demonstrate that this program is worth their time <laughs> and that it's helping them meet their objectives, right? Yeah. Like you would think. Can I can I have be, an hour long but, meeting with you to discuss this thing? Trust me, it works. We will make money from it, I promise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And often you have to, and, and what's interesting you, is you need sometimes enterprise teams need to decouple organic search from maybe what, uh, what let's say, the product teams are doing, mm. right? Because product team, if you think about it, every every team has different marketing calendars. They have different objectives that they want to hit, let's say, in a particular month. Like they want to do this paid media program and they're going to target this person and they're going to get X number of leads. Organic search isn't that neat. And particularly when you have large lead times, like as you hear me describe this process, right? It could take 
weeks and weeks to get go from article conception through actually executing the article. Weeks and weeks would be generous, right? Months and months. <laughs> you know, and everyone's listening. They go, how does he do it in weeks and weeks? <laughs> um, some of these large companies, it could take months yeah. by the time you get a specific article out the door. So to actually track a specific article at a macro level doesn't make sense. But what you do want to do is demonstrate, okay, you want to align, okay, what are the objectives of the company for the year? How many leads did they want to generate? Mm. How many visitors did they want to bring into their website? Um, how do those visitors kind of align with their funnel? And did we meet those goals um, from a social media standpoint? Does it work similarly? How many followers did we get? How much traffic did we generate from our social media program that was influenced by organic search? Um, into the website and how did those people behave? And then what you could show in aggregate over time is, you know, if you're in a, let's say consumer context, you know, how many of those leads actually converted? Um, and conversion, you know, can be defined many different ways. Conversion may be filling out a form, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be all the way through to the purchase. And sometimes an enterprise client, client can't track purchase per se. But, you know, if you're sending someone to a store, you don't know if they actually... <laughs> went to the shelf, but you know you sent them to the store, right? So what we know is, for example, if, uh, if it's financial services, did we send someone to an advisor? Do we know if those advisors are being more productive? Right. Yeah. So, you you know, if you're in a B2B context, right, often did organic search make the sale? No, they probably contributed to it, particularly for a more complex product. How did they contribute? Well, we know that people that viewed a webinar, for example, are more likely to uh, convert. So you'll track things like, okay, how many people that came in through the organic channel actually signed up for a webinar? And you could actually track webinar signups on organic articles. How many people interacted with a quote tool on our website that came through organic search and then went from the quote tool and actually decided to sign up for the service? How many people took out, you know, at least filled out a credit card application, you know, when they came in through the organic search channel? So you can look at these measures in aggregate and what happens is, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you're bringing in, you know, let's say you brought in a million people in year one via organic search. That would be generous when you're starting a program, right? <laughs> but I've had, I have programs where you're actually up to 3 million people a year, right? Multiple millions. Of people. And what happens is not, you don't just bring in that 3 million next year. You bring in 6 million because that 3 million will come in because your articles are still out there, right? They're evergreen. Right. And now all of a sudden you have 6 million and you know how those 6 million people tend to behave. And not only that, you actually got better that in year two, because you have people looking at it and going, okay, how do I, how do I optimize that funnel even better? So you get better at writing those articles. You get better at understanding how to bring people in. You get better at understanding which keywords and types of themes are the types of people that would actually convert for you. And then you get better at actually moving those people through the funnel once they kind of come into your site and move from being this anonymous informational searching person <laughs> into someone that you act that is actually known and that you could actually figure out, okay, now I could use other tactics, CRM type tactics, to actually figure out how to move them through the funnel yeah, and convert. Right. And you just measure that at the aggregate and you just, you, if you can get the organization to commit to a minimum of call it six months to a year, they'll start to see those great things happening. And then you just have to continually publish and publicize those metrics so that everyone understands why this is a corporate imperative. Mm. Um, and hopefully it safely resides into that enterprise or corporate marketing team. 
which is probably a better place for search to live because this is something that the company has to do. It may not be fully appreciated by someone that needs X number of leads that's sitting and managing one particular product. They're going to have different, you know, yes, they're going to benefit from search. They may not even understand that, oh, look, this article they just published did well. And it only pub did well because we were able to push the domain rating so high <laughs> because everybody's linking to this content we've been building for the last three mm, years. Yeah. Right. So this new generation of managers may not understand that that's why they're being so successful, but the corporate marketing people tend to understand that they need to do this. And quite honestly, it's a very reasonable cost to do an organic marketing program at scale. As I mentioned, you know, it's often fifth, one fifth, the cost of a paid program and it, gets cheaper and cheaper, more, I should say, more cost-effective over time. Yeah, yeah. Because you're bringing, these evergreen articles that continue to bring in people, mm. basically at zero cost in year two. <laughs> so the total, and you're just spending about the same amount on your organic program that you did in year one and year two. Yet you're bringing in twice as many people. So the cost of the entire program for the number of people that you brought in just was cut in half. Yeah, yeah. So from a marketing perspective, it's this gift that keeps on giving. I like the call. <laughs> You're going into full sales mode there, Jeff. I appreciate that. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, because I, well, I, I think that, you know, it's easy to rely on pay people. Yeah. Right. I spend a dollar, I get a click. I understand how that works. Yeah, definitely. Organic search takes a little more patience and it takes a significant, you know, which we didn't talk about, significant organizational commitment. Hmm. And it takes um, a tremendous amount of education. You know, what I like to encourage the enterprise team to do is basically, and I think it's an, you know, an older phrase, which is, you know, create real, a real center of excellence around search and to do outreach and, and training for the organization. So search becomes part of the culture. Yeah. So the first thing that someone does, because these companies have thousands of employees, right? And what you want someone who's going to write a piece of content to do is at first think about, okay, what's that search? Should I think about search when I'm writing this article? Mm -hmm. And how could I, even if I'm not relying on, let's say, the agency to write the article, how can I get that search input I need? And to create those structures. But if you think about it, what does a client organization need to do in order to manage an organic search program at scale? One, they need to have a team that's dedicated to it. Two, they need to have um, subject matter experts that are available, right? that have time allocated in their work plan to actually mm. review these pieces. And you need lawyers that have a piece of their day. It's not like they're sitting around waiting for your, <laughs> right? So you have to have time allocated. So all of this has to be planned in advance and you have to figure out how much of that resource you need month after month. Mm. And then you have to meet, you have to have a team that meets weekly basically to review those schedules, understand what articles are coming to understand what briefs are going to be acted upon and need to be reviewed. And then how that work actually moves kind of through the organization. So you need, you know, organizational tools. It could be as simple as like a smart sheet or an Excel type object. It could be a base camp, but you're going to need certain tools to understand how um, these articles kind of move through um, each step, which is a significant commitment on the part of the organization. Yeah, definitely. I think, again, it's demonstrating that value, right? That comes that loops us right. back around, like understanding and getting people to build those good habits and and get into that kind of cadence and rhythm of bringing search into their thought process and into their writing process and into the the company as a whole, right? That That's key into 
helping them understand why in 2022 you kind of have to as you were saying at the very very beginning like it's not 1988 anymore you can't get away with not being not (laughs) having a website and not doing this stuff if you are a massive company that wants to compete with other massive companies you want to enterprise this stuff you kind of have to go down that route (laughs) or you can allow others to control your destiny (laughs) <laughs> right you know it's, yeah. kind of, it, it, it's somewhat what happens right if you yeah. want those as we talked about the digital publishers yeah to come in aggregate all the leads that are in your or all the interest that's in your particular niche and if you want to buy that interest from them via some sort of you know affiliate type partner program that's fine and you could build your model around that or you could do an organic search program and that and control more of your destiny and uh, lower your costs. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think having that is such a key idea. And I think being able to pick those battles, right, when you know who to speak to at the right time, and like I said, getting people to understand, even from the ground up, from the the subject experts through to the writers, through to everyone in that process, understanding how important this stuff is and how integral it can be to build the authority and the generate leads and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, it's very different. Like if you think about B2B, but you know, the everyone's focused on account-based marketing now. Mm. Right. And you go, okay, well, does organic search fit into that model? Well, kind of sorta. I know there's <laughs> you know, there's many articles about it. Yes, when someone searches for your topic, you want to make sure it's there, but it's not exactly targeting people in that particular enterprise at that yeah. particular job title. But if you step back and you say, okay, if people are searching for my the particular topic, do I need to be there to make that account-based marketing program more successful? Absolutely. Does that make search an imperative? Well, maybe, maybe not, right? Because I can't claim that, okay, my ad was seen by that particular person or that particular company. But intuitively, do you need this to make sure that from a search perspective, when people are searching, doing their very early searches for a particular service, that, you know, you're there, you have to be there. So that's why I call it this foundational investment in marketing, um, that you can measure all those affects, but you, it needs to be there. Mm. And that's why I, I'm an advocate for it really needs, needs to live within the enterprise or kind of that brand marketing group. Um, and basically supporting all the product groups with their marketing plan. Awesome. My, I guess my final question, we're coming up on an hour. I know we're, <laughs> as, I've, as I've become sad. the habit of, of, of running yeah. long since I, <laughs> since I kind of been hosting, sorry, Mark, for running so long every single time, yes. but I wa- we're having an interesting conversation. You've got a lot to talk about, Jeff, something I want to kind of touch on and something I've been very passionate about with my clients, but like I said, much smaller scale for me is understanding that clustering side of things and understanding kind of building topical expertise and all that kind of stuff. What is your approach to, I guess, balancing that with the client's needs and understanding, okay, we've got three different key kind of clusters here of, of topics and subtopics we talk about as our company, where do you want to start? Essentially, do you go with kind of scattershot and kind of cover a bit of each of those say they've got three key topics each of those topics do you hone in on one at first that is going to be kind of the focus for the next three months six months or what's the kind of approach there does that vary very much from case case to case basis it's actually fairly uh, consistent in that if hopefully a client has a very clear set of a kpi 
Those KPIs can be somewhat general, they can be specific, but they always have KPIs. Mm. Usually, depending, you know, there's a pendulum that usually swings between brand <laughs> KPIs and we need more leads. <laughs> you know, something, you know. Somewhere in there, right? Um, and let's say it's, it's a lead-based KPI, um, just to, to, come, to keep it uh, simple. And then what you do is you say, okay, I've, I've now understand how all these keywords, clusters, or topics, um, and you look for, and I think you spoke about this with other people that have been on the show. Okay, where's kind of that low-hanging fruit? Yeah. Uh, where could we demonstrate success against that particular objective quickly? Um, so that that first, because that critical first six months of the program, call it six months to a year, really needs to demonstrate that you're actually able to help the corporation meet their goal or else why are they spending all this time? Yeah. So you'll look and if, if, if you're lucky, <laughs> there'll be a whole bunch of topics that are around that call it page two to five on the search results where you're looking at, let's say result 11 to 40, let's say. So Google's already associating that particular topic or keyword keyword cluster with the business. And what you could do is either you could rewrite an existing piece of content mm. to make it work harder because maybe their language choices weren't right. Maybe there, as we said, the conversation order wasn't as good. Maybe it wasn't quite as helpful as it could be, but with a little bit of love, you can make that piece of content work a little bit harder <laughs> for you. Um, and you, you start there. And then what happens is the, the, the marketing team can start to demonstrate how the program is starting to deliver against the strategic imperatives of the company. And once you do that, that finds you permission <laughs> to then maybe go a little broader, deeper. And then as you do that, I think you mentioned like zero search keywords, you can start bringing those into the mix. Because what you really need to do is ultimately understand that you have more EAT in this category for this product than anyone else. Mm. And you're able to serve the needs of the consumer and be more helpful better than anyone else. So stop obsessing over Google and everything else would be my advice <laughs> to everyone, right? It's important. Use the tools to let you know, okay, here's roughly what Google's looking for. But look at this as a competitive sport, mm. which is what I love about it, right? This is looking at those 10 competitors that are on page one and saying that my writers can do better than this. Mm. We can do better than this for the consumer. We can create better tools. Our graphics can be a little bit more interactive. We can get people to the answer faster. We can answer questions that haven't been answered before. Mm. You know, we can look at those also asked questions. Um, and the truth is your writers can do better um, than what everyone else. You have this amazing, what I call second mover advantage, right? They've already wrote everything. Google is telling you, here's what we like to write, <laughs> right? Your tool is telling you, here's roughly how they expect you to talk about it, right? All you need to then do is put that into a brief that your subject matter experts can react to so that you can add to the conversation and be that second mover. Mm. Just do a little bit better than everyone else so that you <laughs> answer more of the question. And over time, and this is critically important, if you do it at scale, right? It's like if you open, um, I used to work, I know we're at the hour, but you know, when you, if you, if you work with like companies that do like food franchises, they always tell you to open four restaurants, right? Why? Because you don't know which one's going to perform really well. <laughs> when you, when you open four restaurants, one does great, two do okay, 
and one doesn't do well at all because it's in the wrong neighborhood. You just didn't know it. Right? Yeah. It's the same as picking stock. No <laughs> one knows exactly which article is going to perform, right? But you know, if you do the right things, your portfolio of articles will perform well over time. Mm. And what we find is over time, a greater percentage of those articles tend to perform if you do the right thing as your domain authority increases. As your strategists start to understand, oh, these are the articles that tend to perform well when we structure them like this. That's interesting. Let's do more of that, right? So you get this kind of like intuitive feel for how things need to be structured in order to do well in your particular um, vertical. And then over time, you'll go from, okay, let's say 20% of our articles are performing well. Then all of a sudden, 30% then all of a sudden 40%, mm. and then all of a sudden 50%. You probably won't go above, maybe if you're better than we are. But, you know, <laughs> you know, um, we always remain humble, right? But you start to see this kind of snowball effect where not only you're bringing in more and more people via the organic channel, you actually get better at it mm. because you have this workflow that you're optimizing that has these 10 steps that you use, right? And you go, oh, we could take step five because there's now a better tool. Or, you know, a draft came out with a new feature that gives you, that's a little more insightful, right? So you can build that into this system that you have for generating content. And, and as I mentioned, just amazingly great things start to happen. And you start to, while you're always stressed, you know, <laughs> in the agency, you know, when you're, when you're supporting clients, um, you know, a little of that kind of melts away as you do kind of better and better. And then you sit back, you know, with one client, I have a meeting this afternoon. And I'm just, I, I put the presentation together. I'm like, this is amazing <laughs> how well this is done. You know, like as a marketer, you expect so many things to fail because you're constantly testing. Yeah. Right. You're constantly trying things and nine things are going to fail and one thing, is, one thing is going to do well. And I think search is one of those things that will go well, mm. you know, if you do it at scale. Awesome. Well, that is the perfect wrap up for us there, Jeff. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for interviewing oh, me with all fun. of this knowledge about enterprise seo and building scale uh building content at a huge scale because like i said it's not something i have very much experience with myself so it's very interesting to kind of get your perspective on it and from your team at brainchild understanding how this works for these massive massive companies around the world and as we've, we've named a couple of names i'm sure out there listeners you've probably thought of a couple of companies like oh yeah they are doing that oh yeah i recognize that that technique that strategy so <laughs> no absolutely so how, how can people find you across the internet jeff and how can people find brainchild as well uh, they can uh, go to teambrainchild.com and uh, learn a little bit about our company uh, they could also um, find me on linkedin uh, just uh, look at look for jeff grill on twitter um, or they can uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn if they have any questions, and I'll be happy to uh, answer their question. Perfect. As always, links for those will be in the show notes at search.withcanda.co.uk, listeners, so you can find the links for all the things we've talked about on this episode right there for you in one handy little place. Great. Thank you. that's all the time we have for this week thank you very much jeff grill for joining me and educating me about turning huge brands and big big websites into digital publishers i thought that was a really really interesting conversation and i learned a lot just chatting to jeff for the for the about an hour we had a conversation there 
Hopefully you enjoyed it too. Of course, you can reach out to me on social media. I am JLW Chambers on Twitter and LinkedIn. If you do want to contact me about coming on the show and being a guest, you have something interesting to talk about in the world of SEO or PPC, please do let me know. Please do message me. I'm always looking to interview new and interesting people. And even if you've never been on a podcast before, I'm always interested in talking to new people in the SEO and PPC industry. Mark and I will be back next week with more SEO news. That's right. Mark will be back on the show after what feels like quite a few months away. Mark and I will get back into the swing of things of doing a more regular news episode. And of course, we will have some more of our LinkedIn Q&A live streams coming up very soon as well. But until then, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you have a lovely week. Music